0: Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithloday, I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great writers for ATQ Badwater. How you doing?
1: Doing really good. And I, I know how you're always saying every week, uh, one of the great writers of Addicted to Quack, but it's true that Addicted to Quack has some really great writers. Uh, I, on it. I think and, so. And we, we've talked about it. Um, you know, uh, I mean, you know, my personal history, I've worked on some other websites in writing or editorial capacity, this and that. And, you know, Slurms and and Adam are really good writers. Well, Adam Holland is. Yeah. Uh, with their um, own distinctive writing style. Uh, I love reading their stuff. And... Yeah, you know, then we have a, a site editor who um, – now, uh, I'm, I'm not shy about the fact that I have kind of an expanded vocabulary mm. and, and I use it in my own writing style. And yet the side editor of Addicted to Quack and Sports Articles forces me to blow the dust off my dictionary for words or verbiage twice – in mm. in the previews so yeah uh, everybody's a great writer
0: yeah that that is the metric um to use uh, <laughs> it's the only that's the value that i add is 50 cent words i guess um so you have written uh, two articles in three days um for the site, let's uh, talk about the first one that you published. It was a review of Oregon baseball statistics um, and specifically comparing them. I thought this was really interesting from the cohort analysis. So you took the eight teams that advanced to the college world series and gathered up all their stats. And I mean, all their stats, this is comprehensive. It like every stat that's recorded and easily available. Uh, and compared their, you know, totals and averages to Oregon's totals and averages. Um, and, uh, and so breaking up offense and defense, you know, which stats did Oregon basically perform as well as an elite team did or a world series caliber team did and what stats, you know, Oregon was behind in and um I thought the results were really really interesting it, it, the the offense is really what caught my eye. I know this went through a couple different iterations and, and you and I had some back and forth you know in the editing process for this article but essentially you know here's what it came down to it, it, reader you should read the articles a bunch of numbers I'm not going to recite them uh you know over the podcast, but you know on the offensive side of the ball. Oregon equaled or exceeded, you know, the elite um, you know, the your typical elite team in almost every category. Um, you know, their batting average was better. They had a, e, the equal number of runs. And remember, um, most of the teams seven out of the eight teams um that went to the World Series played more games than Oregon did, right? So somehow Notre Dame played fewer. Um, or it's really bizarre, but anyway, um, You know, so Oregon, you know, that, that means Oregon's run per game number was no doubt higher, um, than the, 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 than the world series teams, um, their hit, they had 57 more hits, which is uh, about 9% more, uh, hits. Uh, they had the same number of doubles and triples, uh, all, you know, almost exactly the same number of RBIs, um, more total bases, um, far fewer strikeouts way like a quarter fewer strikeouts, the 388 versus 518 for the elites. Um, and, and a couple of the stats too, that you, you should check them out. Um, uh, it, you know, it, it, before we get to the three stats in which they were different, you know, this was a pretty impressive offensive performance, all things considered.
1: It it was. And th- the genesis for all this was the conversation that we had about a month and a half or two months ago mm-hmm. um, following the end of the Ducks baseball season. Um, where, you know, I mean, you, you and I uh, agreed that that pitching was was pretty bad. You know how bad it was. Yeah. Uh, open to to question. And We're going to talk was, about the
0: defense in a second, but yeah,
1: yeah. And I was kind of hemming and hawing about um, how the the batting uh, couldn't really scratch up one run to to uh, uh, try to. Tie a game, or take a lead, or something, and um, as I alluded to in the article, you know, it's all an emotional argument without substance. So, um, that put me on the road to find out. Uh, well, what what are the numbers uh, saying?
0: Well, okay, so let's. Uh, and and. It, it, specifically the thing that we were talking about on that podcast, you know, way back when was whether there was anything to the idea that the ducks were stranding uh, batters that, the, you know, Hey, their bats are really hot. They get on base, but then they're not bringing them home. Um, you know, there's, they're stranding batters And my, my supposition was that I think that actually that that, that's wrong that they are not straining batters at an any higher, I mean, they are straining batters of course, but all teams do. And that, you know, the, the whole thing that started this article was my comment in, in, in which you disagreed with. Um, and slurms also disagreed with on a subsequent podcast, um, uh, that, um, that Oregon was straining more than elite teams were. And the unfortunate thing is that we weren't able to, find exactly that statistics. You know, it seems like that, you know, the, the stranded RISP would be the sabermetrics term for that. So RISP is runners in scoring position, meaning, uh, you know, there's a base runner on second or third base, um, who then doesn't get brought home. Um, that would be a stranded risk. Um, and we weren't able to, to assemble that stat that, you, that could be assembled if you went through all the play-by-plays and put them all together but like ain't nobody paying us enough to do that you know uh so we're gonna have to infer it (laughs) we're gonna have to infer it and here's but i think from your article i think that we're both right and here's why So Oregon had 415 RBIs. The elite average was 416. So Oregon had one fewer. But remember, Oregon played on average, what, like five fewer games than the elites did. So like it's basically the same number. You know, for RBIs. However, one of the three stats in which the elite exceeded Oregon was home runs. The elites averaged 90 home runs a game. Oregon only averaged 70. Or excuse me, the elites put together 90 uh, home runs. That that was their average per season. Uh, Whereas Oregon on their season only got 75. So you know, the 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 elite teams were putting up 15 more home runs. You know, for each each of their seasons, like a home runs you know, in RBI potential, but it is not recorded in R- the RBI stat, correct?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So basically, okay. o- Oregon using base hits was RBIing as well as an elite team. But what they weren't doing were getting the, you know, the grand slams in the multi-run home runs. You know, that that's what, you know, wasn't getting, you know, the payoff. So, you know, uh, I, there is something to the stranded risk hypothesis, but it uh, it appears to be only in the form of home runs and maybe sack flies. How does sack, does sack fly count in the RBI stat or not?
1: Um, I believe so. Yeah.
0: So that was one that's yeah. the third, that, that's, that's one yeah. of the three stats is that or- the elites, uh, had 28, uh, sack flies, Oregon only had 18. Um, I, I guess that's, you know, sort of part of it. Um, the, a, a, and then I think the third stat the, the elite succeeded Oregon is in walks. Um, but which was a lot, you know, Oregon, this sort of like confirmed something that I like felt like I was observing anecdotally, which is that Oregon was swinging the bat more than other teams were. Um, and, and as a result, you know, they got fewer walks on the other hand, you know, so they got 40 fewer walks, but they got 57 more hits. Right, and so like I, I think that's like six of one, half a dozen to the other, or actually more like seven of one, half a dozen to the other. Right? We're, Oregon got fifty-seven more hits, but had forty fewer walks. Well, they're still getting on base seventeen more times. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so like, you know, I so, sort of think so that. Then,
1: then the question is when you're when they're on base, either the uh, College World Series teams or Oregon, what's happening there, and that's. That's what, uh, uh, a risk calculation would be informative of that. Unfortunately we don't have.
0: That's true. But I think we can infer it from RBIs and home runs because an, a home run obviously clears the bases and an RBI is a, you know, tells you directly what, you know, you know, getting somebody in, um, it, now, it may be somebody, you know, who's on first who who, you know, like if there's a ball batted to deep right field, you know, uh, you know, the guy on first might score and that wouldn't be counted in the wrist stranded number. Um, but regardless, uh, you know, it, it, it appears to me that Oregon's offense was basically at an, you know, operating at an elite level. Um, they were swinging at the ball more. And that appeared to have, uh, you you know, but they they weren't striking out more. In fact, they were striking out way less, right? They had 130 fewer strikeouts, you know, 388 versus 518, um, meaning – way to go guys like yeah you, you got 40 fewer walks but you got 57 more hits and 130 fewer strikeouts swinging the bats a good idea you know go you know swing the bat dude um they could use a little bit more power you know to get up to elite level and home runs and that would no doubt score a few more runs but they were getting on base more you know, and, and so the fact that their run, you know, number was the same, like, yeah. Okay. So if they had hit 15 more home runs, then they would probably have gotten, what do you say? 10, you know, eight, nine, 10 more runs, which would make them a super elite team at scoring runs, you know, like, you know, I'm basically looking at these numbers and saying, Oregon doesn't do need to do a thing on offense. That That's my takeaway. Um, uh, you know, get, get a few more home runs. Sure. But other than that, like, man, this looks like an elite offense to me. Do you think I'm wrong about that?
1: Um, no. And the only reason I leaned toward a, a kind of, you know, a minus characterization, if you will, is at the absence of, of complete information, which, sure. which annoys me, but, um, yeah. That said, I think you're about 90 or 95% there, right?
0: I mean, like if I'm, I guess I'll, I'll put it this way. If I'm, you know, was, if I'm the coach of this team and I'm making adjustments for the 2022 season and I had my exact same, you know, roster, but I could, got to change one thing. I, I'd leave the offense alone. I'd spend a hundred percent of my energy focused on the defense. Um, yeah. uh, I, I just don't like, like, there's a point of diminishing returns, like, like how much more, you know, practice or or resources or whatever, you know, resources that you have, can you devote to the offense to squeeze out what, like 10 more home runs, like over the course of a season, like, come on, man. Like you're just, you know, you're, you're basically there on the offense. It's the defense. So let's talk about the defense. Right.
1: And, and that's what, that's what the stats tell us. And I'm sure he has, uh, much more specific metrics at his disposal. So there you have it.
0: Sure. Um, so the defense, uh, most of these, uh, you know, most of the, the fielding category, this is the the point that you made in the article was that if you separate this out into fielding versus pitching, the fielding also looks elite, right? It it Uh, is.
1: Yeah. Without a doubt. The fielding is absolutely elite
0: um you know almost every you know basically all the all, all the stats are, are are identical um although there's a um uh, fewer you know uh, errors uh significantly fewer you know eight fewer er- 47 versus 55 so eight fewer errors and then the rest of the stats are basically identical and there's re- there's only one fielding statistic that oregon is significantly behind the elite which is double plays which is oh, right. kind of interesting um it's you know oregon had 54 the elites uh, average 65 on the season um
1: so it is cool. and there was a commenter that um made the comment I don't remember who it was that yeah you know, perhaps uh, better pitching on the part of the elites put their defense in a better position to make those double plays
0: uh it's true you know hey maybe if the guy's not getting on to first you you can't score a double play <laughs> so you know again this is another category where it's just like there's really nothing you can do to improve here you know like it, yeah it seems like diminishing returns are going to kick in if you try to do much about fielding fielding's not you know what was letting oregon down it really just comes down to the to the pitching and even some of the pitching um was elite caliber right so like Mm -hmm. uh oregon gave up fewer doubles and triples they had fewer wild pitches way way fewer wild pitches they had more control of the ball
1: um uh, and like i said in in the article that was a statistic that jumped out at me that i completely did not expect that was that wouldn't been and wasn't necessarily my impression watching well it's the kind yeah wild pitches
0: It's the kind of well, this is, you know, I can tell you from doing football stats too. like, it's remarkable what things as a fan when you're watching, they stick in your mind and and have like an outsized presence in your mind. I feel like wild pitches are probably one of those that like, if you see one wild pitch a game, you're like, oh, my God, Oregon's (laughs) control. (laughs) He's out of
1: control. Why haven't you pulled him yet?
0: Yeah, exactly. But like. You know, but but they weren't having one wild pitch a game. I mean it was less than that, right? Like Oregon played yes. what, uh sixty one games 61 and games. had and had forty wild pitches. So that's you know, two thirds of a wild pitch. you know, they would have two wild pitches in three games. That's pretty good. You know, the so, elites and, were and, get were much closer to one per game.
1: Yeah, and it may be just a a coincidental thing of you know, when when there's a couple guys on base and things are getting tight. Oh, there was a wild pitch. Lovely. Now we have yeah. the bases loaded. So, yeah, they may have just come at like
0: particularly it inopportune times, but that's just not how statistics were Like, I mean, there is a uh, raging debate to this day and clutch hitting. And now you're suggesting the possibility of a clutch wild pitch, you know, like <laughs> yeah. or an anti clutch wild pitch. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, however,
1: Right? You have to let the numbers talk, yeah. You know, and
0: but and go by the there's numbers. just right. Yeah, right. There, there's just not. You know, there's the, the the stats in which Oregon equals or exceeds in pitching the elite teams are. There's not a lot of them. On the other hand, there's a bunch of pitching stats that are behind the elite teams Either Probably the most important is ERA. You know, the elites average 4.41, which is actually not a phenomenal ERA, at least for major league baseball. I don't know. College might be, you just, your expectations are lower. Uh, I guess. college,
1: college is uh, different. That's, um, that's more in line with, uh, college. I, I read somewhere on a different site. Uh, somebody who had read the article said, um, that Wash should be pushing for, um, uh, ERA of two point five zero or that kind of stuff Yeesh. because because Oregon State's cumulative ERA was two point five four, something like that. Yeah, you but know, they're they're, or, they're
0: freaks, right? Like
1: Oregon State's cumulative ERA last year, last season was four point one nine.
0: Yeah, which yeah. is. Which is So you, know, so you were telling a here. tale of a commenter who was just straight wrong about something, but yeah. was happy yeah. to write it anyway. Boy, where yeah. have I seen that before? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. Everywhere.
1: Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, if we're talking a 4.19 ERA compared to the elite average here, that's easily elite that's yeah no that's
0: that's fantastic for for oregon state versus the college world series teams oregon state barely missed the college world series unfortunately stanford was packed the pac-12's representative um but anyway uh um yeah like you know uh, uh, even a 4.19 you know in major league baseball people would be looking like really that's the best you can do um but you know it's college what are you going to do? These aren't pros, but anyway, Oregon's four seven four. That's that's really not great. You know that's got to improve. Um, yeah, Oregon- and St-
1: Stanford's ERA was four point two three on the season. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, that's another good number. Um, or good for college anyway. It's you yeah. know better than the elite average but then beyond ERA, you know, Oregon gave up 27 more hits, 23 more runs, 20 more earned runs, 40 more walks. They had 122 fewer strikeouts. Um, They gave up five more home runs, which eh, that's not terrible, but you know, still, Um, uh, you know, uh, 14 more hits hit by pitch. Um, uh, You know, it's just, you know, almost basically every meaningful category of pitching Oregon was worse than the elites. Um, it, you know, all right, it, it, it tells, a you know, and it's, you know, it'd be, It'd be one thing if, if, if you know, is one of these stats just really terrible, you know, like, oh my God, they gave up a hundred more walks and hit by pitches and everything else was fine. And so, you know, you could, you know, you could really like narrow down and say, well, it's just this one problem. It's not and, that and, and it's across when, the board. It's just like the pitching was just not as good across the
1: board. Right. With, with all the elite teams, there's some of these categories where there's deficiencies but it's not the the large spectrum that we're seeing mm-hmm. with Oregon you know it just it's being uh, nickel and dime to death in, yeah. you know in terms of you know what what their what the uh pitching is letting get by them
0: so uh uh, listener, you should read the article. I, you know, it's, it's very well presented and and really lays out you know as clear as possible. You know where exactly Oregon's issue is, and that's that the pitching staff was just not elite. It was it wasn't terrible, um, but you know that was it. That's what was keeping Oregon um, from shutting down games and advancing uh, farther than they did. And we will have to um, see how Oregon does going forward at, at improving their pitching because, like I said, I you know I, I really can't see them getting a whole lot better in terms of offense or in terms of fielding like they're pretty much performing at an elite level um and i think i you know i think reasonable people can disagree um and we don't we can't concretely prove it cuz we can't get a hold of our stranded wrist numbers but I think, in my opinion, that the, the, boy, Oregon just strands so many runners on base. I think that myth is busted. Um, I, I, I yeah, think would... I think
1: it's a matter of that um, Oregon couldn't get some uh, offense going in uh, crucial spots and crucial games. <laughs> well, that's, that's not something, that's something that, that every team deals with sure so, and you know, I, and with, I think with, the other thing who we'll got you you guys with, with the pitching uh I think uh, Oregon was really or Oregon would have loved to have Meyer this year mm-hmm. and that didn't happen it was a, a tough break it not unlike uh the softball sure. season um, not having their ace in uh in it. so it I mean it's it's a tough situation, but uh, you know the rest of your pitching staff has to step up. That's yeah, just the way it Goes
0: well, and the other thing about the way that baseball and softball works is there's this bottleneck, and you know in the double elimination tournament, and so you know if that's where your series ends and your performance felt in those two games that you lost and that ended your season, if your team's performance felt like oh, this is a ratification of what would have happened all season long but that's what the getting the stats is meant to bust It's like no that was really just the case in one game and that game happened in a really inopportune moment um, but otherwise that you know this is what you know the stats demonstrate is what the team was doing
1: yeah yeah this that, that's it this the stats demonstrate that uh, pitching was the problem this year and as far as uh, some of the other statistics yeah provided I, I haven't been uh, fired by a dictator to quack next year because of shoddy riding or something. I'll hmm. I'll be following uh, some of these stats that that require you know game to game information, and uh, I'll have uh, a much more accurate statistical presentation next season.
0: Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, look forward to that. Uh, assuming that I'm not fired. Uh, let's, <laughs> uh, on that sunny note, let's take a break. Uh, <laughs> uh, we come back, we'll talk, uh, Pac-12 media day. So, uh, you published a, uh, roundup article. Uh, we, we had a Pac-12 media day, um, it, and uh, what I particularly uh, enjoyed, um, maybe because I told you to do this, uh, <laughs> was <laughs> that uh, you, you kept all, you know, there's all anybody wanted to talk about were grab quotes from Kleafkopf and other folks who were talking about realignment, right? I mean, you know, folks who wanted to stir the pot about USC and UCLA leaving and, oh, you know, should we, uh, you know, be, be hating on them or, or, or our team's going to leave for the Big 12s, you know, is the Pac-12 going to absorb other teams? You know what's going to go on, and what you did was you're like kind of ignored all of that and just got you know how are coaches and players feeling about their football team in 2022, in which they are going to play football, and and you know nine out of these eleven teams are going to play the Ducks and and the. 11. And the 12th out of 12th is the ducks. Uh, and you know, I thought there were some pretty interesting, you know, quotes here. I, I thought we could, we could look at some of these. Um, but before, uh, we get to my questions, was there anyone in particular that stood out to you?
1: Well, um, I mean, you, you and I were on the same page at the last podcast that we did, which was right after all the realignment, uh, news. And really for me, that's, kind of non-news right now there's a bunch of dust in the air can't see what's going on and it it really doesn't uh interest me right now um what interests me is how do the teams feel about how they're going forward and so that was the the basis of of what i grabbed in terms of coaches comments
0: Yeah, man. I, it is August 2nd. College football will be played this month. Um, and, and the 2022 season will have the pac 12 with 12 teams in it. Uh, and yeah, you know, sort of, uh, the, you know, so, so you presented them in alphabetical order, but so maybe just coincidentally, one of them, you know, that really grabbed me, you know, a team that sort of has had a great off season was Arizona. Um, and, uh, you know, Jed Fish had a, you know, cute line about being complicated, you know, uh, you know, lots of teams were paying Arizona the backhanded compliment of saying that it was an off season team, you know, meaning, uh, you know, hey, they get a lot of news in the offseason. Let's see how they play during the season. And Jed Fish was like, yeah, we did have a great offseason, you know, um, mm-hmm. I I, I tend to be with the like, I, I like what Fish you know, is doing this offseason good for him. I tend to be with the skeptics on, on Arizona, you know, in the sense that like, you know, they, you know, they, they had by far the biggest jump in their average talent, you know, rating, um, in the pac 12. I mean, it was huge. Um, but all it did was lift them from the last place team to the third to last place team, you know, they're now more talented than, than Wazoo and Colorado. Um, You know, they're still less talented than Oregon state and Cal and everybody else, you know? um,
1: Yeah. And I I admittedly knew uh, next to nothing about Arizona. So, um, you know, how they've done with the recruiting that they've been able to do. Yeah. It was kind of, um you know worth fish talking about and um, how they've done in terms of the, their recruiting was something that I was not aware of
0: well it's uh I, I mean I, I I wrote an article about them um the uh, you know the thing is you know fans tend to be very like short-term memory and so you know it was interesting like comparing, Arizona and Arizona state. Right. Like you, you can't imagine a better off season for Arizona. You can't imagine a worse off season for Arizona state. Right. Um, and so like fans tend to, to think that, you know, so like imagine a graph in which Arizona's line is, you know, trending up and Arizona state's line is trending down. And like, you can project out into the future if those trends continue that the lines will cross, but like that has not happened yet, you know, like, you know, it, it, Arizona State is still significantly more talented than Arizona is like because because this is just the nature of, of, you know, there are 85 scholarships on the team, you know, and at most you can replace 25 of them in a season less than a third. Right. So like your baseline talent level, like you don't get to do like a wholesale replace um, you you replace less than a third of your talent. And even that you're not doing that full third, you know, Arizona didn't lose 25. They didn't take in 25, but even if they had like their in 2021, their average talent rating was about a 0.835, which is, uh, it's a low three star. Um, and, and you know, they, they lost some dudes who were sort of by definition, you know, lower end of the talent scale. Um, although they also lost a couple of their higher end of the talent scale guys. Um, and they brought in, you know, more talented dudes, but like, it's not like they brought in 25, five stars, right. You know, what they, Mm -hmm. what they brought in was enough to elevate them to like a 0.849, which is still a low three star, you know? Um, it's a good start. It's like turning a battleship, you know, it's like you, you got to start early, but you're not going to do it immediately. You know? Um, and I, I mean, like, even if they, even if Arizona did the max transform, right? Like even if they lost the 25 least talented kids off their roster, which isn't what happened, but even if they did, and on the other end, even if they brought in 25 five stars, you know, 1.0s, right? Like if you run out that math, they go from a 0.835 to about a 0.87, you know, which is like, it's a high three-star, but like barely. So it's like barely above average, you know, mid three-star. Uh Like it would still put them. Let me do this real quick. It would still, it would still put them as in fifth place, you know, in the pack 12 in terms of talent behind Stanford ahead of UCLA. Like, like that, that, you know, the maximum that they could do. If they lost 25, two stars and added 25, five stars, they would still just be the fifth most talented team. And that's not what they did. You know, like, so like, you know, everybody who's expecting like Arizona is going to compete for the South. Like, you know, look out for Arizona. I'm just like, come on guys. Like, you know, if this continues in like two or three years, maybe, but like in 2022, give me a break. That's my attitude.
1: Not this year. Um, Part of, the, part of the perceptual thing that's going on, and I, I don't know if it's just me, but Herm Edwards is such a boring interview. I mean, is it just <laughs> yeah. me? No. I, I mean, he, he spends half his time talking about the power of the student athlete. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I mean, I, I listened to what he had to say on YouTube, and I fast forwarded the thing, and it was still boring.
0: Yeah, there's a bunch of boring coaches. Um, uh, like I don't you know Darrell D- D- is super boring, Shaw is super boring, like uh you know, not not a lot of them are fireworks throwers. Um I don't know. What did you think about Cal? What what did you think about Justin Wilcox?
1: Well, um i'm really not hearing much different from what i have heard um from him it's it's not inspiring a a whole lot of confidence and i guess i need to see the product uh, on the field to uh, know whether he is firmly planted on the hot seat or is just kind of warm
0: I mean, I like that. I think that's more a a referendum about where Cal is at financially. And like, they probably don't have the ability to fire him and find like a, a, you know, a a whiz bang replacement for him. But I mean, this is going to be year six for Justin Wilcox. Like there was a big wave that came in in 2018 for the PAC 12. And he came in a year prior to that. This is year six for him. Um, And like, you know, it's, you know, I remember when we were talking to Rob Wong, um, Uh, for, for, for my article. And, and we, you know, we got to the end of the podcast where, where we traditionally ask, you know, like, okay, so what's your season prediction? Like, let's go through this 2022 schedule. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to make a bowl this year. And I was just like, It's year six, man. You're wondering if he's going to make a bowl, you know, like he has a hundred percent ownership of this team, right? Like every single human being, every player, every coach who's at the university of California's football program is there because Justin Wilcox wanted him to be, you know, like every play that's in their playbook, you know, on offense or defense is there because Justin Wilcox approved it. Like he has a hundred percent ownership of this team. This is where he wanted this team to be in year six. And if it's like a serious question, Question about whether or not he's getting to a bowl. It's just like, oh my god, Uh, you know. And like his comments at media day were just like, I was not getting him like banging his shoe on the table. You know, did you get that impression from him that he was just like, this is the year, man. I mean, like that's what he's like. Like even his his comment that the the, and you provided it in in your article, you know, was the video of him like, our goal is to win a Pac-12 championship. Did you see like fire in his eyes? where no. he was like, oh yeah, you know, get the, get the flip out of the way. Look out for the bears. You know, like that, it was just like, well, our goal you know, it has to be, and you might think it's ridiculous um, to the, 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 we compete for it, but we're going to try, like we're definitely going to put on our football helmets and um, try to play an organized game of American football. And if everything goes really well, we might even win. Let's just like, you have got to be kidding me, dude. Uh, yeah,
1: it, it sounded like tired coach speak and a contrast to the coaches like um, Riley and Lanning um, and the talk from uh, Washington, where, you know, I mean, they're they're talking with a little bit more fire and conviction in what they're bringing forward. I got none of that from Cal.
0: What do you sort of speaking of of more cerebral guys and, and and you know not bomb throwers, but who I I have a much higher opinion of is Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. What did you think about his comments?
1: Um, uh, I liked uh, I liked what he had to say, and I think he's on a uh, a good trajectory and uh, a better trajectory than you know. What I think is uh, the nervous kid in the classroom, and that's Washington State,
0: yeah, um,
1: um, but but he's he's shown um, improvement in his roster and what the beavers are doing. Um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong because uh, you you know better th- than I do well, I mean, they really some, didn't... he's got some defensive issues to deal yeah. with,
0: yeah. Well, that's, that's sort of the challenge is that the, the, his, his, you know, roster year over year, it, they barely move the needle, you know, their, their average talent rating for 2021 versus 2022 is basically identical. They, they slightly improved. Um, but like, it, all, you know, within the margin of error, you know, it's tiny. Um, but the, it, you know, what I can tell you from, from my research, from my article is that it, it. I really feel like their biggest problem was their defense. And the biggest problem with their defense was that they were operating a three down front without a nose tackle because of a bunch of injuries. But those guys may be getting healthy and, you know, sort of like for one of the nail, you know, the war was lost kind of deal that like. You know they got some nails um, who were still on the. But here's the thing: it doesn't move the needle in terms of the the you know the graph of the talent average because those guys were on the team last year and are on the team still this year. But they weren't available. I mean, really, if I wanted to drill down and make a really accurate chart, I would make a like you know your your talent rating of your available healthy players. You know, but like, oh man, that's that's a lot of work. I'm not doing that. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, like it's. I, I'm a skeptic of Oregon State in the sense that like I they really didn't transform their roster, but I may be on board for them in the sense that like yeah, like I said, that you know, their biggest problem was their defense, and the defense had a clearly identifiable problem with nose tackles, and those guys may be healthy now. Now, you know, knock on wood, you know, they've been, they've had that problem for like three straight years now. Um So, like, I mean, you know, maybe it doesn't, you know, maybe maybe Lucy pulls the football away from them again, and they have, you know, problems once more. And, um, but you know, it was was very clearly identifiable dive you know, identifiable problem. And, and so like, yeah, they could be significantly improving. And then just generally, the reason I asked you about his comments is that like, I think he knows he's a good coach. Like I, you know, there's a sort of quiet confidence that comes off of him. And like, that was, you know, the nature of his comments It's like, yeah, I know I'm coaching these guys up, you know, better to play better than their talent rating. You know, I know you know, yeah, like I have been writing for years. I, I was writing coming off of their 2018 season, which I they went like two and 10 or some terrible number like that. And even the Oregon, even our sister site building the dam was like, oh yeah, this is going to be garbage. Holy shit. We're in so much trouble. And I was, you know, in my PAC 12 preview that year, I was like, I like Oregon state a lot. You know, I think Jonathan Smith's a hell of a coach. I see a bunch of signs in their roster management. I think this guy's, you know, a really great coach. I wrote that like three years ago when no one else believed me. Uh, and I, I'm taking victory laps on it. And when I watched, you know, Jonathan Smith's comments, everything that he was saying now, maybe I was, you know, reading into this, you know, maybe I was hearing what I wanted to hear. That's a possibility, but I'm pretty sure that I heard him saying like, yeah, Hithleday is right about me, (laughs) (laughs) you know?
1: Well, you're right. He's, he's uh, exuding kind of a, a quiet confidence that, uh, uh, we're not hearing from Dickert, and mm-hmm. we're certainly not hearing that from Wilcox.
0: Well, let's talk about Dickert because you, you brought him up. Like what did you think about him? Um do do you think he seemed like you know, this is this moment's bigger than him, or or what do you think?
1: Um yes, and it's because Washington State is in really uncomfortable, uncharted territory. Cause um you know, with, with all the with all the dust still floating around with conference alignments and, yeah. and where the dust is going to land. I
0: mean, yeah, if uh, anybody gets screwed, I mean, War Wazoo State. might find itself as, a, as an FCS
1: team. Yeah, oh, Washington State has the most to lose, and, and they know it. Um, and so uh, a lot of Dickert's comments had to do with um, tradition. And with understanding that uh, the Cougars' successes are in the past, and for uh, younger people, they're way back in the past. And so they have an enormous challenge ahead of them to turn that around.
0: Well, I mean, you know, like their rival right across the border, like eight miles away, the University of Idaho, like that's a team that, you know, obviously just as remote as wazoo is right. Like they're, they're eight miles away apart. Uh, that's a team that had to go from FBS to FCS cause nobody wanted them and, you know, nobody wants to go there and, you know, they sort of, you know, they're, they're they fell off the map, you know, when, when teams started moving around, um, you know, and they fell down to the FCS level, that's, that's on the table for wazoo. You know, I, I, you know, I know we, uh, you and I both sort of dismissed this realignment talk because it's just sort of like, it's, it's a bunch of premature speculation. We'll know when we know, but like, yeah, I have to think that that's weighing on him that like, he might've gone from an FBS program, Wyoming to an FCS program in a couple of years in in Wazoo. Um, If, if the, you know, the nightmare scenario for the PAC 12 breaking up, you know, goes down. Cause like who, nobody wants to play, nobody wants to go to Pullman like nobody wants to get on a plane and play, you know, Wazoo and Pullman, you know, that's the case because they haven't gotten a power five team to play in Pullman since the eighties. Um, you know, and there's no recruiting there. Uh, and and Wazoo is like deadly at home. I, I put out a tweet a little while ago, um, that was going through, you know, your, your PAC 12 home stadium records of the last five years. Mm -hmm. And like the top two teams won't surprise you at all. Who do you think the top two teams are?
1: Um, Well, it's Oregon for sure. Yep. And uh, I read the tweet too. Um,
0: This isn't a stumper. It's exactly what you think it is.
1: uh, Probably Utah.
0: Utah. Exactly. You know who number three was? Uh, I don't. Wazoo. Wow. And that's the least talented team in the conference. Um, you know, or, or over the last five years would either be like 12 or 11. Um, yeah, no, they're but they're, there, can, it's no there joke. Can. Pullman <laughs> is a scary place to play. So like who on earth wants Wazoo in their conference, they get to be in the pack 12 because they joined up you know, 80 years ago, and they've just sort of been tagging along ever since, and no one's had the guts to kick them out. But, like, no one wants you, Wasu. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, yeah. you 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 bring nothing but pain. <laughs> like...
1: Yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate that f- for them, you know, I, I feel badly for the, the fan base uh, in that they're going through the... Uh, it, through more consternation than arguably any other fan base right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just, it It really, it, you know, and part of the whole part of my, you know, what I just said was about like, Wazoo brings nothing but pain is that they bring the pain, you know, like playing in Pullman is hard, like good for you. Cougs. Uh, now, whatever pain, you know, Kug's experience is easily dulled by their, you know, 0.2 blood alcohol level at all times. So, like, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not sure how bad it can really get for them. That is a joke. Obviously, that would be a lethal <laughs> yeah. level of alcohol. But, like... uh yeah you know i can't imagine that this hasn't been a distraction you know for 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 dickert but getting back to like you know what the how the wazoo team is constructed like it's really you know he he commented on they they hired eric morris who was incarnate words offensive excuse me head coach to be their offensive coordinator and he also got their quarterback cameron ward um And, you know, Dickert's a defensive guy and he's just like, he just bought an offense, you know, (laughs) um, I don't know. I, I, and it's going back to the air raid, you know, like I think that Wazoo's going to be a scary team to play. Like I, I, you know, I, the fact that Oregon plays in Pullman, I don't like the fact that they're going back to the air raid. I don't like the fact that he straight up bought an offense. I don't like, like. I, and why I don't like? I mean, don't like as an Oregon fan because it's you know scary potential to, for the Ducks to trip up in Pullman. Um, yeah. So it's it, some
1: unnecessary variables there.
0: But I mean, that's always the way that the Cougs are. Is like you can tell from listening to his comments at pac Media, this guy is not like planning to win the conference. On the other hand, he is definitely planning to ruin a couple of teams' days. You know, like that's that's one zoo for you.
1: Well, hopefully they ruin uh usc and mm-hmm. not us i was surprised at, speaking of usc at um how much of lincoln riley's comments did not have to do with their impending move but rather you know more with um a lot of chest thumping about uh, who they've uh, acquired yeah. since he came on board
0: well i I, I do think that, well, it's the same story with USC as it is with their, you know, prep recruiting. It's that, yeah, you know, they, they wound up getting a lot of really great wide receivers and, uh, defensive backs. Like it, that's true. Um, they got nobody in the trenches. I mean, like, it's crazy, you know, and, and like you, you get, you know, you get to their specific comments too. It's, you know, or Riley specific comments in media days, just like, yeah, we, we, We got, you know, a lineman, you know, like, you know, like, you know, it's, you know, it's right. And I would have thought if anybody would understand, like, you know. The, the importance of the offensive line to his scheme to be Lincoln Riley is sort of going to get psychological, but like that was the thing that I observed, you know, I had to do a film study on Oklahoma for the Alamo bowl. Right. And the thing that sort of like shocked me was that it was like an air raid passing tree, but it was a power RPO offense. Um, they were just throwing air raid routes. Um, and like, Dude, that was a demanding offense in the offensive line. Um, Like, those guys had to pull on every play, including passing plays, because there were, like, fake pulls were built into their pass protection schemes. Um, You know, and it sort of looked like... You know the, the thing that I noticed when I was looking at, you know, Eric Morris, the guy we were just talking about with, you know, because he also comes off of the Mike Leach tree, and I was also, you know, I had to learn all about, you know, Graham Harrell who comes off of the Mike Leach tree because he was USC's offensive coordinator for the last couple of years, and I've also done, you know, research on a couple other, you know, folks who come off of the Mike Leach tree, and what I noticed is that every time somebody comes off the Mike Leach tree, they try to incorporate the air raid with some other form of offense. Um they're like they don't like the pure Mike Leach form of it. Apparently, only Mike Leach likes the pure Mike Leach form of it. Cause that's what he's doing in Mississippi state. Now everybody else tries He'll to figure. incorporate <laughs> other stuff. You know, Eric Morris in, in, incorporates, you know, like spread option stuff. Um, Graham Harrell incorporates like tight ends and H backs, um, and even a fullback at some point. Um, and, uh, and, and, And Riley at Oklahoma, you know, what I definitely noticed was that, you know, uh, Mike Leach's uh, pass protection is super simple. Like he gets battleships. He gets guys who basically can't run block, you know, that they're like value pickups on the market because like they're if all you had to do was pass block, you'd be a five star but because you can't run block the other half of your job for most teams uh, that like bumps you down to a low three star. And then Mike Leach is like, well, all I want you to do is pass block. So you're a five star to me. Um, so he, you know, he gets those guys. Lincoln Riley's like, I coach at Oklahoma. I don't, have to deal with those bargain bin offensive linemen, I get elite offensive linemen, I'm going to put together a real, you know, offense that, you know, that does it all. And he was totally doing that. And, you know, that's what I really appreciated. Like, it was wild. It was really fun doing the film study of Oklahoma, you know, when I took the Oregon hat off and I put the, you know, the film student hat on, you know, and just like appreciating it as like a pure scheme thing. And like talking with my more schematically oriented, you know, friends and, and fellow film reviewers, like Oklahoma's offense was a blast like it was really innovative and then he goes to USC and I'm like oh man do you know what you're getting into link like the you, that offensive line cannot execute that offense like i really think it's going to be a lot of trouble and so when i i saw the same thing as you in the you know the Pac12 media day comments was that uh you know i was seeing like chest something about the line i'm just like dude do you do you are you watching the same practices that I am because like that was a horror show in the spring game um it was a I mean man oh man read my article read my uh-huh. I, yeah,
1: and and I did and I remember those comments and so and that was one of the reasons why I put his comments uh in the article yeah you know, it's a uh, we'll get to say Niener and Neener later on.
0: So Washington, Kalen DeBoer was sort of bragging about how they had a good July in the on the recruiting trail. Um, you know, not not gonna be real relevant to twenty twenty two since that's the twenty twenty three class. And and on top of that, there are guys that if Oregon was taking them, the Oregon fans would be panicking. So you know, I don't really care about that. Um, there was you included the silly question about uh withholding the weights. I'm sure that's a shot at Oregon. Who hasn't put the weights up on their uh, uh-huh. website yet? Um I'm really surprised that DeBorah didn't answer that in like a one word, like we do film study. I don't need a number. I can see them. Uh, what a ridiculous question for that. You know, that was a dumb question. Um, and I'm had, glad they, you there, included there, it to embarrass was. the Washington reporting crew. Cause I think the Washington probably has the worst media coverage in the PAC 12. Like, Oh my God.
1: Well, there were several dumb questions from several dumb uh, reporters to several coaches. Well, yeah, so it's pretty hard to uh, not grab the little hanging fruit. I
0: I do think you, you did, however, include the most like football-y of the comments of, of any of these guys, which was DeBoer's assessment of his three quarterbacks. And like, man, it didn't, I mean, this didn't read like glowing review to me, you know, uh, you know. Like the best he could say about Michael Penix was that he knows my offense, which like no shit, he knows your offense. He was running your offense. Like you know, y- you know, uh you know. It, it, Dylan Morris has taken a lot of snaps. Like that's the best he can say about Dylan Morris is that he's taken a lot of snaps. Like, and then Sam Heard is like he's pretty far away from his his ceiling. Like that's that's a backhanded compliment, Kalen. Like uh, it's just <laughs> yeah. like you know i i again this may be me just hearing what i want to hear because you know or er, you know washington rivalry and I uh, you know that's what i wrote in my washington preview article is that like quarterback's going to be a problem because i can't think of a whole lot of great things to say about these guys and i can think of substantial knocks on all three of these guys and then i read you know DeBoer's comments that are sort of like well i'm 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 kinda having a hard time thinking up great things to say about these dudes and I'm like, yeah, no shit. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, yeah. last thing that I wanted to note was, I thought it was, I, I actually edited your article. Uh, I don't know yes. if you caught that, um, yes, but Chip, Chip, Kelly, <laughs> I'll just read it like Chip Kelly gets asked this question about, um, you know, Hey, you brought on a, b- a bunch of new coaches and I'm wondering how that affects the chemistry. Um, you know, you have six new coaches and Chip Kelly's like, Oh no, it's not that many. We only have five new coaches. And then he proceeds to list all five of those coaches and says nice things about them. And some of which I agree with, like uh, I, I do think that Norton is probably going to be a good linebackers coach. I really think that Kaka Malloy is a, 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 going to be a good defensive ends coach for them. I, I think he was Washington's only competent position coach last year. He, he, UCLA, you know, won that sweepstakes to pick up the one competent Washington coach when that team exploded. Um I don't think on the other hand, I don't think that Bill McGovern is a good defensive coordinator, at least not for UCLA. I don't think that Chowd, Kow Haha um is a is gonna be a good defensive tackles coach because Clay Helton fired him. Um uh Jeff Ferris is fine. He doesn't coach a real relevant position. But then the hilarious thing was that like he forgot about his offensive line coach that he hired, who was Tim Drevno. Like that that's the sixth gu- the dude, the reporter was right, and Chip Kelly was wrong, and he was wrong because he forgot about his offensive line coach.
1: It's who, Chip, who like Chip I mean, Kelly being Chip?
0: Well, to be fair to Chip Kelly, the appropriate reaction to hiring Tim Drevno is to forget that you hired Tim Drevno. Like (laughs) It's like forgetting that you got a tattoo when you were drunk. Like, uh, it's just like, like Chip, like Clay Helton fired this dude because he was, he had wrecked USC's offensive line so bad that Lincoln Riley is going to have to pay for it. Like, uh, you know. Now some somebody on Twitter pointed out like well Drevno was on staff previously as an analyst so technically he's not new to the, to to the locker room and I'm like he should be new to the locker room because analysts can't interact with players uh unless of course they they've been cheating and and doing that but like whatever you know more to the point like uh you know <laughs> It's just hilarious that Kelly was like taking a moment out to chasten the reporter, you know, and the reporter was correct. Like, I mean, give me. Yeah,
1: a it, it, he can't help himself.
0: Yeah. And, like, there's our know, Chip I, Kelly.
1: I think that uh, even though he's not really showing it, and don't you think that uh, Chip Kelly probably has the warmest seat in the Pac 12 right now? <laughs>
0: Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, like, I, knowing that would require knowing more about, you know, how the administrators at each individual school perceive their coaches and their finances and so forth. I mean, I, I think I take your meaning in the sense that, like, if they get a big, you know, influx of, uh, of capital from joining the, the Big Ten, that, like, right. can you they know,
1: survive a. Uh, uh- a four and eight season or five. I mean,
0: honestly, again, like I I don't want to talk too much about realignment because I find it to be, you know, just sort of uninformed speculation at best, but like money hadn't been the problem for UCLA. It's not like they haven't been able to get good, you know, coaches who have a lot of experience like chip Kelly and Jim Mora. The problem is that those guys have stunk um, as coaches, like, which maybe that's not UCLA's fault. Maybe they just have bet really bad luck. Um, you know, I, I would have told him to hire Chip Kelly. Um, I mean, I don't know. I actually might've told him to hire Ted J- Jeff Tedford instead. Um, but whatever, um, you know, like the, the idea that like, and on top of that, like, you know, they kept Jim Moore for what, five years? They've, they've kept Chip Kelly for five years. It's not like they're firing the coaches too quickly. And frankly, if they fired the coaches at any faster pace, cause like, oh, we're sitting on so much cash. If you don't win immediately after one year, we should fire you. Like, that's not a good way to run a football team. Like, I don't right. think that cash is going to fix UCLA problems. All I think that cash is going to do is make certain administrators wealthier. Um, like, and I think it's going to make UCLA worse. And I, and like you know they're not going to get that cash for another couple of years so i don't think it makes chips kelly seat any warmer um like you know frankly, you know, UCLA brings the problems on itself. Chip Kelly brings his problems on itself. They're going to get richer, but only certain people. It's not like the players are going to get richer. It's not like they're going to get better coaches. Like, how could they, you know? The the only way they get, get better coaches is if they hired somebody besides Chip Kelly who manages team better. And like, I don't think that he manages his coaching, you know, roster very well. And so like, if you just got a, you know, if you got a replacement level coach who hired a competent staff and a month, not a bunch of like incompetent cronies, the way that Chip Kelly did. Yeah. They could definitely improve in that regard. But like, it's not like hiring Chip Kelly in 2018 was a huge mistake, you know, like, and it's not like they haven't been able to fire him because they're, you know, strapped for cash, you know, they're not in Cal situation. So like, I don't know, man. Um, And I don't think UCLA fans are the type that like get their torches and pitchforks out. Like, you know, if they if they didn't, you know, they, they sort of like lazily yawn, you know, with this problem, which is like there's your Pac-12 problems writ large is like they don't, you know, go, you know, they, they don't go ballistic when they have a losing football team. They're like they sigh into their Chardonnay. Um, <laughs> all right. We've done enough about this segment. Let's take a break. Uh, we'll when we come back, we'll uh, we'll take just a little more time. We'll we'll talk about my upcoming project on uh, on Oregon's new defensive scheme. So on Thursday of this week, uh, which will be tomorrow, if you're listening to this podcast in the day that it comes out, uh, uh, I am finally going to release my uh, defensive scheme uh, article. You know, the scheme that uh, Dan Lanning is bringing over with him from Georgia. Uh, it will not be a preview of the 2022 uh, Georgia Defensive Football Squad, uh, that article is going to be written later. Um, This is more like what Oregon fans can expect out of Dan Lanning, you know, the the theories and principles. I've talked about it a couple of times on this podcast before, you know, what the mint front is, you know, the the, the spill and kill philosophy in terms of, um, you know, bouncing out outside runs. Um, but this is, uh, uh you know, and, and they're focused on like stopping the you know, intermediate passes. Um, but this is going to be more, you know, it's going to have a bunch of film clips in it. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to getting it all written.
1: Nice. Um, so how do you think that, okay. okay uh, you have a, a head coach, former defensive coordinator that's bringing uh, a scheme from Georgia, to a new group of players um how is the fit of the existing player base in oregon with what you uh foresee landing and the the defensive coaches trying to do uh do do you see a clean mesh there or i see
0: i see three pieces of good news and one piece of bad news um Good news number 1 is it is a fairly similar defensive structure um in, uh in terms of like what body types you want, you know, what the, your, the ratio of, of personnel. So, you know, Oregon has been running a three down front with two ILBs and a nickel on the back end since Jim Levitt in 2017. So, you know, five years of, or six years now of recruiting for this structure. Now it's not the exact same scheme, you know, there's sort of been different philosophies and whatever, but it's not like they're going from a four down front to a three down front, or it's not like they're going from a three, you know, backers at depth system, or they're going from a base defense with only four dbs and they have to invent the nickel or something you know they don't have like an exotic you know uh uh, you know hybrid backer built in there it's basically the same you know personnel assignments they're they're going to have somewhat different jobs but like you, you want the same sort of body type so like that should go fairly smoothly um the good piece of news number two is that like what was very clear from the film and, you know, I will put this film into my article so that, you know, you you can, you can, or both my articles really so that you can really observe it is that that team, the Georgia 2021 team was phenomenal because their defensive line and their linebackers were phenomenal. Um, and I mean, I, that's not hyperbole. These were, I mean, just superhuman. These were incredible players. Um, and, uh, and, I think that Oregon has the best uh in the Pac twelve, has the 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 best and deepest defensive line and linebacker core um in the Pac twelve. So like that maps pretty well. I you know, I don't think that Dan Lanning is gonna have to he doesn't walk into a situation where he's like, Oh no, I've inherited a team where the strength of it is the back end and not the you know the trenches and I have to reconfigure. Like if he had taken over USC right? A team that like has nobody in the trenches or very few people in the trenches. And, but like a bunch of great DBs landing would have to be like, Oh man, I got to rewire this whole thing. Um, that doesn't have to do that when he's coming to Oregon, you know, he's just like, Oh good. You know, a, a, a big, deep, you know, defensive line core uh, that is experienced and has the body types that I want. And look at all this great talent and linebackers. Great. Fantastic. Like let's they hit the ground running. So that's good. news. Good piece of news. Number two, good n- piece of news. Number three is, you know, I think if you poked around, you would find some commentators who would say about George's defense that the back end was not the strength of the team. Um, you know, how could it be? The front was so good. Um, but there are even some people out there, and I think I might be joining their ranks, um, who were like, the DBs were not just not the strength. They were actually a weakness, um, or at least the 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 one of the traditional safeties in the, the cornerbacks. Um, like you know, you didn't see him very often because the defensive front was dominating so much, but like, it was almost like those guys didn't get a workout, you know? And so when like the rare play did break into the, defensive backfield it was like those guys didn't know how to tackle like they were sort of taking wrong angles or they like they weren't they they would cover really well the sort of intermediate stuff and the like you know the bread and butter sort of intermediate passing but like deep passing i was seeing those guys getting cooked a lot they were playing a true freshman keely ringo who like it went down to the wire oregon recruiting that guy so like this might sound like sour grapes or anything but like i was sort of surprised that they pushed him into service as a true freshman um because he definitely looked like a true freshman he was getting beat like a true freshman. like like all cornerbacks do like that guy may wind up being a you know blitnikoff winner um uh like as a is a phenom- or a lombardi winner like it's you know as a phenomenal defensive player but like as a true freshman he's gonna get beat it just happens um and i was surprised that he was playing um as a true freshman because they, they run deep you know in the quarterbacks room so anyway a good piece of news for oregon is that like i think he will actually be if if anything he might be stepping into a better defensive backs room than he had at georgia um it's yeah, at and, least and
1: like we like we've talked about, um, uh, they help themselves, um, with portal moves there.
0: Sure. Um, and, and now the cornerback room is thinner than you'd like it to be, but you know what, when I was watching Georgia, at least prior to garbage time, I really only saw them play three different cornerbacks and Oregon probably has got, you know, Oregon has at least three playable cornerbacks. So as long as those guys stay healthy, I really think they have a comparable, maybe better defensive back situation than Georgia did last year. Like I, that might be, you know, if any Georgia fans are listening or getting offended about that, like go watch your film guys, um, defensive back performance left something to be desired, you know, just wind up, wound up not mattering because the defensive front was so good. Here's the bad. Uh, piece of news um that even though i said that he is walking into a situation similar to georgia in that the, the defensive front looks really good um and that the, he can rely on that as being the strength of the defense it's just not as not as good like how could it be jordan davis oh my god like holy mackerel that guy was amazing like a dude his size like 350 plus pounds but moves like a cat like mm-hmm. un- unbelievable. Um, maybe the best college defensive tackle that I have ever seen in my life. Um,
1: yeah, a generational but, player for sure. Yeah,
0: I mean, uh, a century player, more than a generation, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Oregon doesn't have a Jordan Davis, you know, like they they just don't, they, they don't have an, an outside linebacker like Nolan Smith. Um, Uh they they might have inside linebackers in most of their jobs who were as good as their you know seven and seventeen and forty-one. Sorry, their names are escaping me. I think of them in terms of jersey numbers. Um, (laughs) but like those guys were also phenomenal in coverage, and like that was my big gripe with Noah Sewell was that he, you know, that he had problems in coverage. So like he I think he is facing a downgrade in the defensive front. I still think it's the the strength of the the defense and definitely better than any other defensive front in the pack 12, and that's primarily who he's going up against but like, it's just, you know, he's going from a team that's like made up of almost nothing, but like five stars and high four stars to a team that's made up of, you know, mid to low four stars primarily, you know, like it's a, Mm -hmm. he is stepping down the talent ladder, at least, you know, that's what Oregon is right now, you know, on our trajectory to get to where Georgia is in maybe five years, if they stay on this like flight path, but like, they're not quite there yet. So, you know, yeah, that's the bad news. It's not the worst news in the world. They still enjoy a big talent advantage. In fact, Oregon's talent advantage over its conference is bigger than Georgia's talent advantage over its conference. So, mm-hmm. you know, relative to competition, um, you know, I, I think he's stepping into you know a better situation. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and like I said, you know, the, the other thing that's interesting about the defensive backs thing is that I said the same thing about Ohio state last year when I finished doing up my film study on them and I was talking to an Ohio state, um, uh, a reporter, you know, on our podcast, I was like, look, dude, uh, what I see in every one of these Ohio state games is that the defensive front just completely dominates the opposition's offensive line. And the, the DBs are like playing golf, you know, like they are rarely, you know, challenged. And when I do see them challenged, they take bad angles. Um, and, and it's like they, they, they do not sort of get a workout in the, sort of pushed back on me and and it was funny because i was watching them play against alabama like it seems like every team that i have to study has to play alabama so i was (laughs) like i've become this sort of like weird like propinquity based alabama fan um but i was like you know the way that alabama tore up ohio state i'm not saying that oregon is alabama but the way that oregon is going to challenge ohio state is the same way that oregon that alabama challenged ohio state and he was like yeah right dude and then we saw what happened so i I am not predicting an oregon win over georgia but like it was interesting that i was seeing pretty much exactly the same thing in terms of like these dbs don't get a workout um and if you can get behind the defensive front and challenge them you can make you know modest plays turn into big plays um and it'll be interesting to see that i know that i said i wouldn't talk about going up against the 2022 team yet but it's a little bit of a preview for you Yeah, well
1: it's there'll be a, a good conversation for the August 31st podcast. Yep. All
0: right. We've gone uh, almost an hour and 10. Uh, so let's wrap it up there. Uh, any parting words for us, honor?
1: No, just the usual go ducks. And okay. it, or we're into double digits until the beginning of the football season. So <sighs> it's all good. All right. Good talking to you, everybody. Uh, take it easy and catch you on the flip side.